Hi, again, this is Oliver Hibbert. This is the first of three episodes about Agile Team Dynamics. And today we're going to talk about psychological safety. And that means we're also going to talk about fear. We're going to look at the examples of a few scared people in organisations and a few scary people too. But let's kick off with something very recent. Take a couple of things from January 2022. London, 31st January 2022, a civil servant called Sue Gray finally published a heavily redacted and heavily delayed report into what had been going on at 10 Downing Street, the Prime Minister's official residence and office, during the Covid lockdown. Her report is heavily redacted because the police are also looking into the same incidents. But there are a series of clear occasions when the lawmakers at the top of the English government became lawbreakers. They did not respect the rules they'd made themselves. And the interesting thing is that they were not challenged on this. Although Downing Street is full of policemen and all kinds of other people working there, none of these people actually called out the behaviour. And to quote from Sue Gray's report, staff and I quote, felt unable to report or challenge poor conduct. Now that is a pretty good definition of an absence of psychological safety. When you have psychological safety, people do feel able to report or challenge or call out or speak up. When you don't have psychological safety, people don't. They don't think they can report or challenge or speak up. New York. January 3rd, 2022, a lady called Elizabeth Holmes, ex-CEO of a company called Theranos, gets found guilty of various kinds of fraud. This is a very high-profile case. Theranos, in its pomp, was a company that was valued at nine billion US dollars. It had an enormously prestigious board. The problem was that the technology, the machines that did the famous blood tests, never worked. Now, Theranos employed, employed some very good people, and a lot of those very good people knew that things weren't working, and they tried to raise this issue. Take an example. This is Erica Choing testifying in a US court about her experience of working in Theranos. She raised the issue of the machines not working with top management, and the reaction she got was this. What makes you think you're qualified to make these calls? You're a recent grad out of the University of California, Berkeley. What do you know about lab diagnostics? You have no visibility in this company. So, unable to report or challenge, in that case, blocked from reporting or challenging. And what inside the company is a screw-up begins to progress to being a cover-up. And the relationship between the screw-up and the cover-up is something that's quite important to understanding the impact that psychological safety has in organisations. Take a third example, not so recent. Go back a few years and look at Volkswagen. Between 2007-2015, CEO of Volkswagen was Martin Winterkorn, who was forced to resign in 2015 because the scandal of Dieselgate burst into the public view. This, you will remember, was the fact that Volkswagen had been systematically gaming and cheating the test for emissions in the United States. Vinterkorn resigned a week after the scandal came public. 
and it was followed by years of investigations, fines and settlements that in total have cost Volkswagen, Europe's biggest car maker, about $39 billion and have really damaged its reputation. So you see then again we have the sequence of the screw-up leading to the cover-up. It's interesting there that we have a personality involved who a lot of people described, Winterkorn described, as being extremely demanding to the point of bullying. Now this behaviour probably doesn't come from nowhere. In fact, Winterkorn is probably challenging the behaviour of his predecessor, the immensely powerful Ferdinand Piech, who was boss of Volkswagen in the 90s. Bob Lutz, who was boss of Chrysler in that period, talks about meeting Ferdinand Piech and telling him how impressed he was with some of the results that Piech had obtained in the bodywork of the Volkswagens. And Piech told Lutz, if you want that in Chrysler, I'll give you the recipe. I called all the body engineers and manufacturing executives into my conference room and I said, I'm tired of all these lousy body fits. You have six weeks to achieve world-class body fits. I have all your names. If we do not have good body fits in six weeks, I will replace all of you. Thank you for your time today. Well, clearly this is management by fear. And if we take a definition of psychological safety, we can expand a little on what Sue Gray said, talking about people feeling unable to report or challenge conduct. And we can use the definition that comes from the guru of psychological safety, Amy Edmondson, who defines it as psychological safety is a shared belief held by members of the team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. Now, we tend to think of psychological safety in the world of tech and agile, thanks mainly to Google's project Aristotle, which famously a few years ago identified psychological safety as the number one distinguishing characteristic of high performance teams. But actually, we have great stories of psychological safety which work in organisations that are not high tech at all. Take 3M. Take the story of the post-it, a story often used by consultants to explain how particular kinds of culture inside an organisation lead to innovation. Spencer Silver, guy working in 3M, trying to create a super adhesive and creates a super non-adhesive. In terms of execution, that's a screw-up. The product doesn't work. But the possibilities of the product interest Silver and he tells people about it. And one of these people is a guy called Arthur Fry and innovation ensues. Arthur Fry sees the possibilities of creating a bookmark by using this non-sticky adhesive. So Silver presents his screw up and it generates learning and possibilities. He doesn't cover it up. And he doesn't just throw it away or hide it somewhere. He's in a learning frame and he's in a psychologically safe environment where he can talk about it. And in any case, the screw up is much less dangerous than the cover up. Now, when you don't have the psychological safety to talk about the screw up, you move to the cover up. The screw up is an opportunity for learning, but the cover up is just a black hole. So, 
What can you do about it? What can you do about it in your own team? What can you do about it in your own organization? Well, I think the first thing is don't call it culture. The moment people begin to say, well, but this is the culture of the organization, they get an alibi because no one acts on culture. It's not an actionable thing. It removes personal responsibility. And everybody in the organization, you, team leaders, right up to the top, is responsible for this. I think there are three crucial things that you can do inside your teams, inside your organization that make a lot of difference. The first one is about being very open yourself about the personal challenges you face at work, the difficulties you face at work, and the things you've had to learn at work. Because that kind of openness, that kind of vulnerability, putting yourself out there to be vulnerable, creates an environment in which people can begin to talk about screw-ups and can begin to learn from them. And people feel empowered to learn if you talk about your own learning. The second point is about voice. We've seen that in several of these stories, you have people who know but who don't speak up. Why don't they speak up? Well, very often that's a question of ceremonies. Let's call them ceremonies, by which I mean the meetings, the way you get together. And it may look as though round a table, everybody's being given an opportunity to talk. But very often, the direction of talk is determined entirely by the most powerful person sitting at the table. You need ways to spread the voice round the table to make sure that everybody genuinely does have an opportunity to speak up. So the second thing is voice and getting the ceremonies right, which means getting the meeting structures right. Agile is full of interesting templates for retro meetings that really make sure that everybody around the table can contribute. And the third point is about the whole approach to work. When Arthur Fry is working on his adhesive, he's not 100% focused on execution. He's got one eye looking out, outside, at the result. And when he gets his glue that doesn't actually fit what he's trying to do, he can learn from it. Now, if you're 100% focused on execution, it's much more difficult to learn. Every time something goes wrong, you just throw it away. You don't learn from it. So a key thing is to work in what the psychologists call a learning frame, not just an execution frame. So those three things... Be open about your own challenges and learning and difficulties. Voice, make sure that everybody has it. And three, create a situation where people are working in a learning frame, not just an execution frame. Put those three things together and you can begin to build psychological safety inside your teams and inside your organization. Okay, that's it for today. We've looked at psychological safety. I'd be really interested to hear your comments. Any stories you have, write to me at oliver at allintel.com. And looking forward to talking to you next week when we will talk about the second element in Agile Team Dynamics, growth mindset. Talk to you soon.